0: The text for the message this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, page 992. Hear the word of God. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office, office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve as... Excuse me, uh, starting at verse 13 again. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if the Lord is in heaven, how can he really take care of his church on earth? How does he oversee our souls and guide us in our spiritual lives like we prayed for him to do in in Psalm 5? How does he apply his word to the very personal and specific challenges that we face each day? How does he care for our physical needs The Bible reveals that since the beginning, God has done this through the members of His church here on earth, who are tools in the Redeemer's hands. The list of qualifications that we read that God gives to us shows us that He wants us to know the Good Shepherd of our souls personally. So that all of us can enjoy the fullness of Christ's love in the church. The presence of faithful ambassadors of the king, ambassadors are people who, who represent the king in, in other places, stewards. The presence of faithful ambassadors of Christ the king in the church, they help people to see God's presence, to learn about the character of their shepherd, Jesus Christ. When God calls ambassadors in his church to do his work, he tells them to do it the way that he would do it. And then that shows us what he values. It shows us what God considers important in the lives of believers in your lives. He teaches us that a man's character is as important as his work. And a man who aspires to the office is not only aspiring to do a particular task, but he is also aspiring to be Christ-like in his character. And when we see the kind of men that God appoints to leadership positions. We rejoice. We rejoice to see what God values. We rejoice to see how God wants to be present among us. We see that we have an overseer of our souls who is capable, who is caring, who is connected, who is loyal, who is peace-loving, who is pure. Jesus Christ knows how to lead in such a way that it is a joy to submit to him. It's easy to follow him with confidence, knowing that he is bringing us to the right destination, that he is guiding us in paths of truth and light. And when we are faithful in preparing and training, pointing and, and serving as faithful men with the qualifications that God gave to us in his divine word, then we may experience God's love. This special love in all the trials and the triumphs of this life until he comes again. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme, the Lord guides and provides for his church through faithful overseers and deacons. And we'll see that faithful ambassadors reflect Christ's care and faithful ambassadors reflect Christ's character. Our ascended Lord Jesus Christ continues to guide his church as the Holy Spirit raises up men who can represent the Good Shepherd. Faithful ambassadors reflect Christ's care in two ways, which were first clearly spelled out in the New Testament in Acts 6, serving the tables and the ministry of the word and prayer. These two ways to represent the good shepherd in the church are seen in the address to the church at Philippi, verses 1 and 2. It talks about elders and deacons. And then in our text, with the words overseer and deacon. The word overseer that you can see in our text in verse 1, it's synonym to the word supervisor. Supervisor. Both words point to the task of serving the church as leaders and guides who have the whole picture or situation in view. They're overseeing. Super means above and vision means to to see. And when we compare Titus 1 verse 5 and Titus 1 verse 7, we see that the words of, of overseer we see that the office of overseer was filled by elders, a term that would already be familiar to the church who knew the Old Testament. You look at the Old Testament, you see that elders were spiritual fathers of the congregation who had earned the respect of family members and employees by their wise teaching their able government, and their impartial judgments in cases of dispute. We read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And although in the New Testament the family connections within the church were less defined, the Holy Spirit continues to call faithful, spiritual father figures in the church to represent Christ's caring and wise rule and guidance in the church. When Paul speaks about the need for the elder to be a husband of one wife and capable of managing his own household well, it becomes clear that these overseers are to be men. God gave the task of headship to men who must also represent Christ's headship in the church as he guides his flock in the right path. And finally, when you compare the lists for the overseers so that would be the first 7 verses with the list for the deacons and you try see what's different. You can see that the elders are distinguished from the deacons because they must also be able to teach. Overseers reflect Christ's care in the household of God by serving his flock with the mouth, the teaching mouth of Jesus Christ, which guides the flock of God through the challenges of modern day life, which nourishes them and encourages them with his word so that they may grow, and and then they call back those sheep who are straying. The overseers, the spiritual fathers, are the mouth of Jesus Christ in the congregation. And although some men are specifically trained and dedicated to the full time task of prayer and teaching and preaching, Christ guides his church through the combined efforts of all the overseers, all the elders that he appoints in the different local churches. And then we see that Paul also uses the word deacon. The word deacon just means servant. Or minister. It's often related to the Lord Jesus' service for the church when he said, I came to serve and not to be served. And then it's related in a general way to all the work of elders and deacons who lead the congregation and in, in serving as Christ served. However, when the apostle uses the word likewise in verse 8, and then follows this up with a separate description of deacon's qualifications, it becomes clear that Paul is referring to the deacons as an office that is distinct from the office of elder or overseer. According to Acts 6, the focus of the deacon's service is on tables, on the physical needs of God's children. In the Old Testament, the regular feasts that they had, and maybe you remember reading about all the different feasts and everybody would would come together in booths or come to Jerusalem. Well, when they had those regular feasts, that was the time when the Israelite nation gave special attention to the needs of the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. But when Christ fulfilled the feasts... This way of caring for the poor and needy, that had to change too. And since the temple and synagogue rulers and the administrative personnel in the temple, they were no longer a part of the New Testament church, it was necessary to continue the ministry of service through the new office of deacon. And That's what we see a little bit when we read Acts 6. Supervision of the affairs of the church includes supervising the care of the needy, the promotion of the communion of saints. And so it's not surprising that Paul presents deacons and elders as parallel offices in the church, like we see in Philippians 1, verse 1. And although the ability to teach is not listed as a requirement for the deacons, They are to know and to study the gospel well so that they can reflect the caring hands of Jesus who reached out to the needy and the vulnerable in society. We have the mouth, the word, together with the hands, the deed, and we see Jesus Christ reflected the good shepherd in our midst. These two areas of service. And the deacons then come with the authority of Jesus Christ, the head of his church. And so Paul also makes it clear that deacons ought to be men who show themselves capable of leading as heads of their own household. And then if you look to verse 11, you see that Paul also mentions some women. And you'll notice there's a footnote, and it makes it clear that the word Uh, it's not clear if the word is to be translated as wives or women and whether or not it is is correct to add the possessive pronoun there. What is clear from our context is that Paul is speaking about women who were, were involved in serving the congregation but were distinguished from the group of deacons who were clearly men. He uses that word likewise again. Although they did not have the authoritative office in the church, women were always involved in the work of charity in the days of Jesus, the days of the early apostles. You may remember what we read in Acts 9 about Dorcas or Tabitha. And so whether Paul is referring to the deacon's wives or to other women who helped in their work, it was clear that women will continue to be an active part of the communion of saints. What needs to be clear is that Christ's loving presence is reflected, not only in the work of visiting one another, or in helping hands, or ladies' aid, or the church life committee, but also in the character of those who are involved. And Paul emphasizes the character of those who represent Christ's love, and also the women involved. If they want to faithfully represent Christ in their works of service, he says they must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. With this understanding of the work of overseers and deacons, we can see why Paul says in verse 1, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. It's words of encouragement, but the words of encouragement make it clear that Paul is not saying whoever desires an exalted position or an exalted status because he knows very well that sometimes people are quite proud of just being in office. They think it is uh, something exalted, something that raises their name, their reputation. Paul here is emphasizing the task, the work of supervision. And the humble character of the person who can truly reflect Christ in this way. He says, if you want to humbly serve as leaders in Christ's church... You are aspiring to be a spiritually transformed person who pleases God through your work in service of the church. Not everyone is willing to seek to grow spiritually, to be responsible examples, to give up their time and their energy to to serve others. And then to encourage men who serve as deacons, the Holy Spirit promises, and that's the last verse of of the passage today, he promises that when they are faithful in their humble service as deacons, Christ's love will be seen in and through them, and so they will gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So that's verse 13. How enriching it is when we have the opportunity to imitate Christ's self-sacrificial love by serving the physical needs of the members, by seeing the reaction to Christ's love in their lives. Paul says, what a, what a great reward. What a great blessing. What a blessing it is to know in this very clear and concrete way that Christ Jesus, is a real shepherd. He is alive. He, he cares for our sp- physical needs in concrete ways, to tell people that you do your work in Jesus' name. It's no wonder that God's people aspire to service in the church. And as we read about the different ways that Christ shows himself in our midst, We are overwhelmed. We are overwhelmed by the trust he places in a few men. Our loving king makes his name vulnerable to abuse. And an unfaithful leader can really give a bad picture of who Jesus Christ is in the church. This is why the Holy Spirit is very precise in his description And he governs all the qualifications that we will look at with the words, It is necessary. He must. There is no flexibility in the shape of the office of reflecting the love and the headship of Christ who came to serve and not to be served. The office comes first. The office precedes the man And therefore the men who are chosen to the office who accept this position must reflect the character of Christ Jesus. When Paul was seeking suitable men for the office in Acts 6, he told the congregation to find men who were full of the Spirit and wisdom. In the Old Testament, the Lord himself appointed the wise Understanding experienced men as heads of the congregation. And he gave them the spirit to fulfill their tasks. You can see that in Numbers 11. The men appointed by God to oversee the congregation, to care for her physical needs, they not only needed to be faithful and obedient to the task and the work, but they also needed to be mature in their personal Godliness and holiness. If the church can expect to see the fruit of the Spirit, like we read in Galatians five, and the wisdom that comes from above, like we saw in on the display text as we came into church this morning, James three verse seventeen. If we can expect to see this this fruit budding and blooming in the lives of Christians. It is possible to be certain to find it among the leaders. Leaders who are chosen to equip the saints for works of service so that they may grow and mature in the faith. The qualifications for office bearers are not like the Ten Commandments which demand perfection and are beyond the reach of everyone. But the qualifications in our, in our text, they are practical and specific applications of what a person transformed by the Holy Spirit actually desires, is able to begin to do. That means that although no one is perfect and without sin, we can expect to find and to train men who are transformed by the Holy Spirit, who are Christ-like in their characters. The gospel is that Jesus Christ makes it possible for for us as a congregation to know what it is like to have Jesus Christ beside us in our journey of life. The gospel reveals that Jesus Christ was a shepherd on earth who was full of the Spirit, who lived a life of self-discipline, And mature desires. It is like having his example in our midst when the leaders he appoints in the church reflect his holiness in such a way that we rarely need to raise an eyebrow about their conduct. To be above reproach means more than just not being guilty but to not even fly with the crows, as the expression goes, or or to be open to blame or accusation because of the people we associate and identify with. The Gospels show that Jesus Christ was sober-minded and self-controlled, which means that he sought out the responsible and the prudent action in all that he did, Whether he was choosing his clothes, or planning his week, or speaking with others. So it was easy to honor Christ. He was respectable. Because he was dignified in his comportment, his way of carrying himself. And trustworthy in his speech. He was not double-tongued like we see in verse 8 saying different things to different people to get what you want. Christ wants you, brothers and sisters, to experience what he is like, what kind of care he gives through faithful ambassadors. And that is why Paul simply states that men who are drunkards, verse 3, or addicted to much wine, verse 8, and or violent bullies who like to pick fights and quarrels, and or lovers of money. Again, that's in verse 8. He says they cannot serve as ambassadors. What do I learn about Christ if his so-called appointed ambassador is stealing from the government just to get richer? Can an addict who manipulates others in their self-focused pursuit for satisfaction, can he exemplify Christ? self-sacrificial love, his character, and his care to the church. Such men in office would hinder the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we must proclaim. Or how about if an ambassador was unfaithful to his own wife? Or if he divides his loyalties between several women? Would you feel That Christ Jesus, who jealously loves the church, his bride, do you feel that he is well represented by such an elder or such a deacon? A faithful ambassador must have a, a good relationship with his own wife and nourish and cherish her in spite of her spots and wrinkles, just like Christ does for his church, as we read in Ephesians 5. Our text also mentions hospitality. Since our Lord Jesus is selfless and empathic in all his dealings with the needy and the suffering, and he calls us to do the same in Matthew 25, while well, a faithful ambassador will work together with his wife and his children to, to open the doors of, of their home, and so allow God's people and visitors to, to the church to see what Christ Jesus is like. And when this love is multiplied over all the families in the church, that beating, pulsing, loving heart of Christ's love will be very hard to miss. The Gospels reveal that Jesus Christ was a shepherd on earth who was full of wisdom. And so faithful ambassadors must also be capable and trained to fulfill their office. As the rabbi and the teacher to whom people looked for guidance and instruction, Jesus Christ was very capable of relating well to others as he taught and as he cared for them with gentleness and patience. Just as Christ Jesus knew the scriptures well, The Holy Spirit tells us that so also his ambassadors must not only hold to the mystery of the faith, that's sure knowledge, but they must also live with a clear conscience. That's a firm confidence. This is true both for the deacons and and how much more for the overseers who have to be able to teach. And so Paul explains that recent converts... And those who have not first been tested and found blameless, they should not be appointed to the office. That's in verses 6 and 10. To have the office without any knowledge of the gospel, without any experience of, of the greatness of God and, and the need of man, that can cause pride. And Paul says it can make a man vulnerable to be condemned together with the devil himself. It shows that qualification of humility that is so important. The fear of God and the study of his word is the beginning of wisdom. And this intimate knowledge of the gospel as it is applied and visible in day-to-day life of Christ's ambassadors is most clearly seen in the intimacy of the home. The Holy Spirit teaches the church that one can evaluate the capability of a man for the office by his ability to reflect the headship of Christ in the home. And so if a church does its work properly, they would speak to the wives and the children of a potential leader to see if they would agree that their husband or their father is fit for the office? Do his wife and his children consider it a joy and a blessing to follow their husband's leadership because they see how it brings them closer to the Heavenly Father? Can the wise headship of a man be seen in his ability to cooperate with his wife, his helpmeet, as they together raise their children in the fear of God's name. Furthermore, Paul tells us that when we evaluate a man to see if he is fit for his office, we should not only consider whether or not his wife and children are submissive, but also how they submit? Or in what way they are submissive? That submission manifests itself. It's important to ask. It's not just the goal. Yeah, they, they obey me. They submit. But it's how? Why? How did people follow Jesus Christ? Was it with fear of the consequences if they did not follow him? The perspective of a man's children clearly reveals how much that man reflects the headship of Christ in his life. However, since a bad situation often includes forced silence in the home, the Holy Spirit also teaches us to consider how those outside the church see a man. How is he known among his neighbors, his colleagues, and his employees What kind of person do they see during the week? Do they see him, and we read that in verse 7, trapped in the snares of the devil so that he has fallen in disgrace among them, not so much because of his sins, but because of his hypocrisy? A man who does not reflect Christ's loving gentle, self-controlled, truthful, and humble character among outsiders should not be appointed as an ambassador of that King, Jesus Christ. How can Christ shine in the world? How can we fulfill our our mission calling if his ambassadors are only seen by those outside the church as conceited, or irresponsible, or greedy, or violent men. The Holy Spirit does not demand that the leaders be perfect like Christ Jesus was, but in his desire to convey the truth about Christ's care and character, he does expect the fruit of repentance and faith and humility to be visible. So when we open up 1 Timothy 3, we realize that these verses aren't just for office bearers. We realize that this list of qualifications is a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. It's a revelation of who your shepherd is like or what your shepherd is like. We learn about what he does and we learn about how he guides and provides for us. And those of us who hold office in the church are reminded how much we need to know and to love, to embrace Jesus Christ. And we pray, O Spirit, lead us by your word to give ourselves first to you and then to your people. And sanctify us more and more by your power so that we may grow in wisdom and personal holiness and so faithfully reflect Christ's care and his character to your beloved congregation. And those of us who may experience Christ's guidance and provision in their interaction with the overseers and the deacons are led to praise our King for his gracious, ever-present Pastoral supervision and service. And we pray, O oh Lord, help us to seek Christ in our leaders. Help us to desire faithful ambassadors. Help us to choose spiritual leaders who bring glory to your name, both within and outside of your holy church. And all together we pray, O oh Lord, be our shepherd and guide us forever. Amen.